Hey queerdos, welcome to Tea Cakes and Tarot Conversations with Queer Futurists. I am your host, Will Wilhelm. Happy Pride Month, y'all. Hope it's going well for you. This is our very first podcast exclusive. Very exciting, and I am joined by the artistic director of the National Queer Theater in New York. His name is Adam Odsess Rubin. Hey, Adam. Hey, Will. How's it going? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. Happy Pride. Happy Pride to you. Thank you so much for being here and doing this fun experiment with us. Um, I'm so excited to talk more about you and more about what you're doing to celebrate Pride Month this uh, Pride Month this month. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Um, so before we get into all of the goodness that's happening at National Queer Theater, will you tell us just a little bit about yourself and sort of what brought you to the creation of that um, company, the origin story, if you will? Yes, I was bitten by a radioactive spider. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in Berkeley, California. Um, I did the Laramie Project when I was 16 years old, and I was like this suicidal, depressed, closeted, queer kid. It was bullied a lot, as many of us were. Mm. And doing a queer play just made me feel like I was part of a history and a culture and a community that was so beyond my universe. And it just blew my mind. And I came out like the day after closing to the entire school. Mm. And it was it was life changing for me and it was affirming. And I felt like, wow, if, if theater could be so powerful for how it's shaping my life. Like, I just want to give that to others. And so after college, I went to UC Santa Cruz um, on the beach, banana slugs represent. Um, <laughs> I uh, I worked at the New Conservatory Theater, which is the queer theater in San Francisco. I was working as an actor and as a teaching artist, working in schools, teaching kids how to be queer. No, no, it was just like acting classes, but- The queer uh, agenda. <laughs> um, and then I moved to New York City in like late 2017 to go to NYU for applied theater, like using theater as a tool for community building, for education, for empowerment, and um, got a grant to start my own project. And I started National Queer Theater to really be a home for queer artists, to be a place that is uh, a place for queer artists to do work for queer audiences. Mm -hmm. um, because there are, there are queer plays in New York. Like, you can see plenty of queer theater, COVID aside. Like, there's queer shows on Broadway. You have Slate Play. You have The Inheritance. But mm -hmm. to do queer theater for a queer audience, especially a young, diverse queer audience, um, is a totally different kind of situation. And a lot of the work we do is also working with homeless LGBT youth who uh, may have been kicked out of the house by their families. Um, we work with queer elders at a wonderful community center called SAGE. Um, working with the generation that really was behind Stonewall and really pioneered the rights that you and I have today. Mm -hmm. um, doing like improv with like 70 year old queer folks. It's so sweet and heartwarming. I love it so much. Um, we do work with queer uh, immigrant youth and documented youth. Um, so it's not only the shows, it's also this community engaged work that really um, that really makes it a queer theater. It's not just that we're doing queer shows or working with queer artists, although that's absolutely a part of what we do, but it's also that, um, that work fighting for queer rights and using theater as a tool for social justice. That's amazing. Will you talk to me a little bit more about um, 
about what it means to you mentioned there's lots of queer theater but it's different to have a queer audience at a queer theater will you like uh tell us a little bit more about what it means to have your stories be in community with the people they are about and maybe the people they're serving as opposed to a maybe more typical audience which is uh more homogenous in its whiteness in its like age um and its class um like you know um where it's more of the community instead of like being observed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the queer theater I've seen serves two different purposes, depending on the audience. It's either education or it's recognition. And when you have a show mm. like The Prom on Broadway, which was lovely, I enjoyed watching The Prom. Sure. But it's really to help educate straight people about the queer experience that they can become more tolerant and more accepting. And that's fine. That's a good mission. Um, but what we do is really about recognition. It's really about an audience seeing themselves reflected on stage, seeing their stories reflected on stage, and that actually being a source of pride, being mm. a source of empowerment, being um, something that builds self-esteem. Because, you know, until really our generation, like there was no queer representation in theater. There was no queer representation in film or in music or in art. Um, that's a pretty modern phenomenon. I mean, you get like little sprinkles throughout history, but until really like the late sixties, um, when you have like boys in the band and cafe Chino and, you know, these early queer theater pioneers, um, there's not much actors in the boys in the band were definitely afraid to be out of the closet, even though they were performing in the skate play. And a lot of them ended up dying in the eighties from AIDS. Um, so it's really unique that we are of a younger generation that actually can say, we are doing queer theater. This is called the National Queer Theater. It's mm. not called Out Front Theater. It's not called New Conservatory Theater. We're actually putting queer in the name and declaring this is queer theater. I, I was like, I wasn't sure if we, I was gonna get like anthrax in the mail when I started it. Like, mm. am I gonna get a bunch of hate mail? But no, like this generation is different. We were forging this new path um, really on the backs of, of these pioneers who um, risked a lot to be able to do queer theater. Um, but for a queer audience to watch queer theater, and even more specifically for a trans audience to watch trans theater or mm -hmm. a queer immigrant audience to watch queer immigrant theater, like getting even more intersectional in our approach, like that is powerful for those people, for us to be able to see ourselves on stage and to say like, oh, this is my story, I matter my story is worth telling, like that is life-changing. Yeah, and it seems to me like when you put queer as the middle name of the theater, it seems like you're bringing stories that are celebratory and like sitting in and claiming ownership of that identity because a lot of the history that we are building upon, uh, upon when you talk about boys in the band is 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 a representation that is in spite of shame representation that carries so much self-hatred with it and so while it is it was forward and has and like you said has sort of be, been a foundation or a building block um sometimes like we 
when you're talking about like things like the prom that are mostly for a straight audience anyway, I feel like there is a weird um, sense that as queer people, we have to be like thankful for whatever like little corner we're allowed to occupy by in whatever parameters are set for us. And, you know, I appreciate that you're doing something that says like, actually, we deserve better and we deserve more. We deserve to have like the confidence and the joy that other people are bringing to their storytelling. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, going back to the prom, like, you know, the prom is probably great for queer kids growing up in Arkansas totally. or Idaho, um, but we're in New York City. Like the expectation for queer theater and the diversity of our queer communities here in New York is mm -hmm. so much more uh, nuanced and people are operating at such a different level of understanding and recognition of what our community is and there's such a need to push the narrative in terms of what stories are being shared and you know a lot of that for us has been focusing on um playwrights specifically and specifically trans playwrights queer playwrights of color immigrant queer playwrights um these voices that even within the niche of queer theater in the past 50 60 years have really been ignored and made to be invisible mm. um and, you know, reflecting on Pride and Pride Month, like we really focus on celebration, which is so important. And that's what Pride is about. But we have to remember that Pride is an antidote to shame. Yeah. And that we need Pride, both like capital P, like parades and marches and events and all that in a month. <laughs> because we need lower pride like we need pride in ourselves because mm -hmm. even those of us who are super out and even working in you know um lgbtq work in our daily lives like we still have shame we still have internalized shame because we grew up in a homophobic and transphobic and misogynistic and racist mm -hmm. culture um mm -hmm. i mean growing up i remember watching fox news on the tv and they were talking about gay marriage in california comparing two, um, two people of the same sex getting married to bestiality. Like, mm -hmm. and that wasn't that long ago. That was like 2008. That was like Obama getting elected as president. Yeah. Um, and that those memories stick with you when you're young. Yeah. I want to talk, I actually, I want to take it back to um, like the sort of young teenage years. Like, can you, can you talk a little bit more about like, actually just like the Laramie Project? And, and I, I'm, I'm curious, like, Sometimes I think when we say like, oh, theater has such a big impact, it can literally be life-saving. Life -saving. People are like, yeah, yeah, hyperbolic, whatever. But I, I think sometimes it's really not. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what giving yourself permission to explore being a queer person in this in the container of like, it's a character, um, you know, what that, what that gave to you um, as a young person. Yeah, I mean, I sound, I... I I feel silly saying this because I grew up in Berkeley, which is such like a liberal accepting bubble. But I really thought for a while that I was the only queer person on earth. Like mm -hmm. I thought I was a freaking alien. Mm -hmm. um, as I think a lot of us do growing up, you know, I think it's getting better now, but um, depending on where you are, like it's about this lack of visibility. So when I was 13, 14, 15, like, I didn't know other queer people. Like maybe there was one out queer kid in my high school who was like kind of a weirdo and people didn't really like them and they were kind of awkward. Um, and that was like it. And maybe like, I don't remember when Glee started, maybe that was later, but 
there was like Queer Eye, the original Queer Eye. Right. It was like also very stereotypical um, mm-hmm. and campy, which is fun too, but. Uh, <laughs> um, so not knowing other queer people and then being given a script that is about this moment in queer history, which is a very tragic moment, yeah. but it's about a lot of these voices in Laramie, Wyoming saying, you know, we actually reject hate. We reject homophobia. Matthew Shepard should not have been killed. And the world reacted to his murder um, strongly. And that propelled our movement forward and actually got hate crimes bills, hate crime bills passed by President Obama in um, 2009, the Matthew Shepard um, Hate Crimes Act. Um, so be given the script and and um, I played Jedediah Schultz and he mentioned Angels in America and auditioning for Angels in America. And then mm-hmm. I picked up Angels in America to do yeah. research for Laramie. And I was like, oh my God, this is not the expression of queerness. I guess at that point I probably would have said gayness mm-hmm. um, that I saw in Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Mm-hmm. This is like queer people are complex and flawed and funny and tragic and sexy human yeah we're human and that was the first like really nuanced portrayal of queer lives that i saw and i i saw myself reflected in in some of these stories um and now that just felt like oh i can be a queer adult like i can live past the age of 16 and not you know kill myself and um that there is pride out there. And like, I don't want to be cliche and say like, oh, it gets better, but you know. It does. Once you once you discover that th- there's a whole community out there, it gets better, it does. Yeah, totally. Um, and I love that um, what you're doing with National Queer Theater is cultivating new voices um, to put, uh, like, you know, I we're, we're thinking of this in the narrow-ish lens of like theaters and plays that, you know, colleges and high schools will produce, but it's really all art making, all media, all film, all television, like, but, but that goes into fashion and all other things. But, you know, taking it back to theater, I think it's really important to have all of this queer representation, this nuanced queer representation in the way that we write people's stories, because that is a way that young people like you and I step into something safely and 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 are able to connect with a part of themselves that they might not otherwise. And it like that that was very much, you know, part of my experience as an actor as well too. Like, you know, my um first professional role was playing Xana in Xana Don't. I don't know if you know that very campy <laughs> musical, but like that, you know, I'd already sort of come out by that point, but that was a vehicle for me to like come out to my family because they were going to come see me be gay as fuck in this show. <laughs> and also like have a story where, you know, there is a, like a queer person who, you know, gets traumatized despite how lovely and wonderful they are. And so being able to like do that in a safe container and then being like, yeah, you know, that connect, I connect with it in this way because that is, you know, my life story. It, 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 it gave me something really wonderful. And, you know, I fast forward down a few years and I got to play Angel and Rent and walked into the room, like feeling very like I'm adamant that like, this is not a drag queen. This is this is, a, this is a woman. This is like a trans feminine mm-hmm. person. And everyone was like, why is this the hill you're trying to die on? And obviously it was because I was unpacking my own identity as a trans feminine right. person, which I wasn't ready to talk about yet. But be, ac- occupying that space and occupying that 
role in that play really really gave me that that freedom to to walk into that confidently and to sink into that so that leads me to the kind of representation that we do see of queerness on stage which is very often in you know musical theater both of the things i just mentioned and can often be really one-dimensional um you know like this or or in tv and film like the sort of sassy gay friend Mm -hmm. you know we see queerness as being like really 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 tightly linked with whiteness way too often and so uh, there are ways that like you know like you said we're trying to like cultivate new trans work and new work of immigrants and people of color so i would love to hear more about what you have cooked up for your sort of um like trademark thing at uh, national queer theater which is the criminal uh queerness festival yeah absolutely so we started the criminal queerness festival in 2019 after receiving a play from a young queer artist in egypt named adam ashraf al and the play was called Drowning in Cairo. And um, it's a beautiful play about uh, queer history in Egypt that I knew absolutely nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I remember Skyping with Adam uh, the next day after reading the play. This is pre-Zoom. And um, <laughs> I really naively asked Adam, uh, oh, like, have you done the play in Egypt? And he just like laughed at me and he was like, no, we'd all be arrested. If- I tried to do this play and I was like, Oh my God, like how many writers are there like this who live around the world who are queer who are not able to produce their work because of censorship. And so Adam and I started talking with another writer, Nick Hadikwa Moluko from uh, Tanzania, um, who was not able to do his work in his home country. And we started this idea for the criminal queerness festival to really showcase and celebrate these artists from around the world who, um, are not just victims of oppression, but who are fighting back against international homophobia and transphobia. And not to say that America is perfect. I mean, we just lived through four years of the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we could stage these artists work in New York that has relative freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and celebrate this work without censorship. Um, so we've done the festival. This is our third year now. The first year was indoors in the theater. The second year was on zoom and now we're outdoors fun <laughs> really COVID safe um yeah. although thank god the the vaccines are going really well in new york city um we're staging this outdoors through new york city's open culture program which allows for outdoor ticketed theater events and we're also doing two special performances at lincoln center on Yay. june 24th and 25th outdoors in front of lincoln center theater um so people can go to nationalqueertheater.org, get your tickets. We have three incredible new international queer plays, including a stage reading of Leilina by Martin Yusuf Sabari, uh, which takes place in uh, Baghdad, Iraq in 2003 um, during the US invasion. Uh, we have a play called When We Write With Ashes by Victor I. Caceres, um, who is the uh, Tao playwright in residence at New York Theater Workshop. Victor's work is amazing, and it's about um, these two young addict lovers who are on the back of a pickup truck racing across the Mexican desert to a funeral. And it's kind of like a queer waiting for Godot, uh, yeah. surreal, um, abstract dramedy. Um, and then we have a really incredible one woman show from Lebanon from Dima Mikhail Mata who is a uh, queer 
Lebanese storyteller, and um, she's actually coming from Beirut in oh the my middle gosh. of COVID to perform her one-woman show for us in New York City. So That's we amazing. have an amazing lineup, and we're so excited to get started. Yes. Will you say the title of the one-woman show just because I I love the title so much? Yes. This is not a memorized script. This is a well-rehearsed story by Dima Mekayamata. I just like I I like I've I've seen that on you know your marketing materials and I just like keep coming back to I'm like that is like an incredible title for that makes me really want to see <laughs> something. Um, that's awesome. So you're doing it for the third year, and as you've already mentioned, like each year has been really different, like you know out of necessity, like the format of them. But I'm curious about like having done having two festivals under your belt. Like what are you going into this year? Like what are you excited about? What's gonna be different? What are you nervous about? Like how are we feeling for festival number three? Yeah, I mean, I think we feel so excited and grateful to be able to do this in person again. Yeah. Um, you know, it was great doing it on online last year because we were open to an international audience. Mm -hmm. So we could actually have audiences in these countries that are portrayed in the shows. And because people are just on Zoom, it gets around a lot of the censorship in these countries mm -hmm. um, because Zoom, like governments don't really know what's happening on Zoom. Like it could right. be porn, it could be like a meeting, like nobody really knows. So it, that was actually really amazing, um, the accessibility of it. But, um, you know, there's just nothing like doing theater in person. I mean, it's, it's an in-person art form. And um, so we're excited about that. What makes me nervous uh, is that outdoor theater is really unpredictable. Yeah. There could be a protest that goes by. There could be an ambulance that goes by and stalls there for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, it could rain. It could be hot like it is today when we're recording this. It's like <laughs> yeah. freaking hot outside. I don't know, you know how long I could sit outside watching a show. Um, there could be animals. Like You, you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that's part of the magic of it. I mean, I was gonna say, isn't that the magic of liveness of theater, though? In a way, I mean, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like Shakespeare in the Park is wonderful and outdoors, but it's also very enclosed and protected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we are performing in the street uh, <laughs> near the United Nation, like literally blocking off the street like a block party in midtown Manhattan. So yes. anything can happen. <laughs> I'm so excited. I don't know if I told you yet, but I bought my ticket for the reading on Tuesday and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, um, bring, bring your sunglasses, bring a hat, <laughs> bring a sunscreen. Yeah. I'm bringing my best friend and I'll bring all the supplies too. Amazing. Um, I, I'm like... I have like a very random thing that I'm curious about. So you said you got like an, a, a grant for the initial start of like National Queer Theater. How did you make a one-time grant into like a running theater company? Yeah, I mean, it's grown quickly, but also organically. Uh -huh. I mean, I was lucky because I not only had a background as an artist and as a director and as a teacher, but I also had been working in arts administration for a few years. So mm -hmm. I knew a little bit about writing grants. I knew how marketing works. I knew a bit about like taxes and HR and like mm -hmm. these kind of boring things that you actually really need to know to start a theater company because running a theater is mostly like running a business. It's not like being yeah. an artist, it's running a small business. Um, that's what it is. Uh, so I had some of those skills, but I think I had good timing because 
you know, for the past however many hundreds of years that people have given grants for the arts, you know, funding has been predisposed to funding, um, you know, work that caters to cis, white, straight, upper class people. Mm-hmm. And the funding landscape in the past five years has really flipped. And now, you know, grants are really looking to fund work by, you know, people of color and, you know, by and for people of color, queer people, people with disabilities, like the emphasis is on inclusion and social justice. And that's only intensified in the past year. Mm-hmm. So looking for funding for programming that is for the most marginalized people in our queer community and has this activist political social justice focus actually really aligned with where the funding world was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've just been using that to our advantage and, you know, we don't rely on ticket sales that much for our income. We really rely on grants and the government and um, private funders to support this work. That's awesome. And like, hell, that's what they should be doing for sure. (laughs) Like give us the money government, especially to like, like you said, like the centuries of over-representation of some people and under-representation of the most marginalized people. It's like that actually does not even close to get fixed in five years of like handing out some money. That's going to take a long, 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 long time. So I'm glad you're building what you're building. Um, And also thank you for what you said. And I think it's important to just like reiterate that like, I know uh, like I've been in college, I've been young and had my scrappy group of friends who are like, we're just lovely artists who love making stuff together. Let's just like have our own theater company. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great wonderful idea but it is a business it's like yep. it's 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 mostly not the sexy things it's mostly not like you know getting in and like doing the work and like diving into the scene it's like no it's it's you have to know all of that um to be like you know to be solvent and to and to run for a long time and to be stable like it is a no small task so like props to you for for everything you've made so far um yeah. And my, I have one last question. I'm curious, um, you know, in your first few years as an artistic director, I'm sure there was a lot of, like, I'm sure for as much experience as you had and as much, you know, um, knowledge that you brought in, I'm sure there was so much that you never anticipated. So I'm curious to hear, like, what was, you know, what was a challenge that surprised you that you never expected to have to encounter? And also what was something that was really pleasantly surprising, um, you know, that you didn't necessarily anticipate? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think one of our biggest challenges has been prioritizing programming. Mm. You know, there are so many issues that we need to address within our queer and trans communities, Mm -hmm. whether it's youth homelessness or hunger or violence against trans people of color, um, immigration. I mean, there are so many issues we're up against and deciding what programming to prioritize or who is represented in our few shows that we do every year because we can't represent everyone all the time. um, That is a difficult balance. Like we did a panel last year on Zoom um, that was incredibly diverse. We had like Andre the Shields, we had L. Morgan Lee and mm-hmm. Ryan J. Haddad. It was wonderful. And someone was like, uh, emailed me and was like, why didn't you have like someone who's openly bisexual on the panel? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. We didn't have someone who's openly bisexual on the panel. And it's like, it's hard to represent the whole community all the time. And people yeah. are hungry for representation. So, you know, you want to meet that goal. Um, I think the wonderful thing has just been that 
I think for young queer artists in New York City, there is such a desire to connect, to build community, to give back to the community. Um, a lot of our artists, a lot of our actors, you know, they come back and they teach these classes for queer seniors, for youth. They love it because, you know, being an actor in New York City is hard. You're like auditioning. It's demoralizing. Maybe you do a show, maybe you do a commercial, but it's like not really something you care about. And then to be able to actually give back to your community and like work with queer youth who maybe are not so different from how you were when you were a teenager. Like that is incredibly rewarding. And to have people consistently step up within our community and say, what can I do to support? Can I read plays for you? Can I take photographs on your show? Can I help with auditions like that, that is really incredible and and keeps me going that's amazing i love i love the that you're doing that the space that you're making that i see you like freaking pounding the pavement like working so hard to to build and generate and like as much momentum as you can and you know yeah. i am not a new yorker i'm a chicagoan but i am frequently in new york and just being there and being around theater people there i can tell like there's so much happening but the resources are like so crazily divided there's a huge gap in between like the commercial commercial and the passion passion kind of projects um in a way where i feel like uh my experience of chicago is there's a lot in the middle um but I know, like, I can tell how hard it is to, like, create space and build something from the ground up, especially when you're, like, working with a skeleton crew. So I think all of those, like, volunteers and friends is exactly what you said. It's because you're filling a space that, that really needs to be filled. And I think it's, I, I love watching that grow. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Um, Adam, I'm hoping that I can give you a little tarot reading for like you, but also like the Criminal Queerness Festival this year. Yes. And since it is your third annual festival, I want to do a three card pull. Um, I'm going to pull a card, um, three cards that are going to be a stop, start, and continue. So I'm going to let you uh, like, you know, take a moment or however long you need to think about like, what you as the leader of this festival need some perspective on or what you're curious about. If you have any questions, I'm going to be pulling from like super beautiful, super diverse, super queer star spinner tarot deck that I always use for this podcast. Um, but yeah, so have a think on that and I'm going to shuffle these cards. So how would I phrase the question? However you like. It can be like an actual question or it could be like just a word or a phrase or a tone. Um, there's, there's no rules really. Just whatever direction you want to give. Um, to filter the cards through, if that makes sense. Cool. What do we need to start doing in queer theater? Yeah. What's the future of queer theater? What needs to happen? Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be... Um, shuffling these cards for a moment and you can hear this lovely shuffle ASMR. Um, <laughs> and then I want you to like close your eyes, listen to it for however long you need to. And when you're ready to say stop and then the top three cards will be your stop, start, continue. Stop. Great. Okay. Okay. Ready to go? So first, stop. Ooh, this is really interesting. Do you know tarot, by the way? <laughs> I mean to ask this before. Like, 
Are you familiar with it? I think I like swiped with her on on Tinder or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I drew uh, first stop is the Fool. The Fool is the first card in the Major Arcana. It's um, like the beginning of the journey. It's actually like full of like hope and optimism, and he's got this like little. Um, like bag with like very little possessions in there um but he's at the onset of something new without necessarily sure like where he's going like ready to take steps in a new direction but there's also like a kind of like a a a naivety like a cluelessness to that um and sort of like you know might be moving forward on like a whim um and that's really interesting to pull first for the stop as far as like um, queer theater, I feel like kind of what I just said was sort of like we we have been making queer theater like kind of on like a shoestring and just like starting from nowhere and starting from the very beginning every single time um, with you know very limited resources like pulling together the GoFundMe for every individual thing. Um, so I'm interested in I'm interested in here and seeing this as the beginning of a journey. Mm as something to stop, like stop starting at the beginning in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. To, I'm interested to see what these other two will be. Okay. So that was stop. This is start. Start is the Ooh. one of swords. So swords represents um, like sort of like intellectual. It's like the air sign. Mm. Um so we see this like one sword that's um, surrounded by a crown on it. So uh, the ones are called the aces. So this is like an intense, the aces are the beginnings of things, you know, cause it goes ace through 10. So it's like focus in, get clarity, like beginning of the thought process, like find the resolve, the breakthrough, the reason, the inspiration. It's really interesting to be like, okay, start start getting creative about how we're facing the challenges that we have and how to like overcome them. But mm-hmm. also leading with our own like kind of like mental prowess, knowledge, our community wisdom, all of these things that we do have um, at our disposal as our resources. Interesting. Okay, so that was something to stop. That has that's been going on something to start that's maybe new and this is what we continue ooh continue is the queen of swords ooh, queen. queens are like a lot about she's gorge right <laughs> yeah so same suit same sign air sign um queens are a lot about um like influence so this queen represents a like a a poised kind of intellectual figure. This is so funny. I um, drew this card for, I did a reading for Max roommate yesterday. Um, and <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot about like organization and perception and being quick on your feet. The queen of swords communicates like really quick and sharp in like a kind of like maybe, I don't know, you know, like the jabbing way where when you're brutally honest, people really like... <laughs> Sometimes take offense at that, but you're like, literally, I am just getting to the point of what we're saying. I'm dealing with an economy of words. And there's actually a lot of value in a quick 
clean cut that is straight to the point. And I That's think- That's called being a New Yorker. <laughs> and also being a queer person who is not, around, uh, not mm -hmm. about to apologize for the space that you take up, the way that you communicate and the needs that you have. And I love how you have been very intentional about the directness of like, we are the national queer theater. We are putting yes. it in the name. Um, so, okay, this is really interesting. Um, I love this reading. I want to show you all three cards at once. So to remind you, stop the fool, start the ace of swords, continue the queen of swords. What are you like noticing um, thus far? Like what just jumps out to you based on these three cards and what we've talked about so far? I mean, I'm interested in like the journey from fool to queen. Like yes. that is like, that is a huge status jump. Like if we're mm -hmm. talking like actors, like, going from a fool to a queen, it means that you have gone on this like hero's journey mm -hmm. and you are like the boss bitch now, like you're in charge. And that's like, you know, I feel like part of my journey going from this like scared little queer kid doing Larry Project yeah. to like running the National Queer Theater. Like I've had to go mm -hmm. from a fool to a queen and like step up and be a leader in the community to do the work that needs to be done to like support um, us like queer artist folk. So totally. I love this reading. Yeah, I'm so glad. Um, I love, yeah, I love the journey of this sort of like archetype to fool, ace, queen. And, um, you know, on this podcast, we like, we do, we talk a lot about um, Shakespeare and stuff. And I sort of love, there, there are like sort of some reflections and mirror images to me of tarot cards and sort of Shakespeare's archetypal mm. characters that we see coming back um, in his plays, but also how we sort of filter our own questions and our own experiences and our own um, like souls and perceptions and lives through those archetypes. Um, so yeah, this is really cool. Yeah. I think, I think we're looking at, um, you know, the future as, you know, I think you and I have been in conversation with a lot of wonderful queer leaders and trailblazers in our theater community. And mm -hmm. I'm like hella grateful for their work. But I look at people, no, but I just say I'm hella grateful for their work. And also <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at people, you know, of our generation as we're starting to come up with our own projects and the ways that we want to take up space for the future. And even the people like, you know, the teenagers that you're working with now, I always look at Gen Z and I'm like, damn, when y'all get a chance to take some power, it's over for us hoes. Um, <laughs> but as you know, people of our generation are, are starting to, we are starting to define what the future of queer theater making and queer storytelling and queer art is. I think we are we no longer need to feel like we're no one's and nowhere and at the beginning of a journey with like no direction we are picking up off of something that has been you know that has been begun that has been starting to be built so i think we have you know there is power and institutional power and also comfort in numbers and all of those things we don't need to be those shameful closeted actors in a play where we mostly just talk about how we hate ourselves like we are we are on a journey and we're picking up something that has been begun already for us. And now we get to start like a new direction and we need to like think of that sort of intellectual spark of the experiences that we've learned how to talk about, that we've created new vocabulary for that hasn't you know existed for our whole lifetimes um, and to bring a more equitable direction in where we move forward while we continue to suffer no fools 
<laughs> to tell them exactly what it is, why it is, and how it is. Because even though that is off-putting to a lot of people and people are like, oh, but we can't upset the commercial audiences who need to pay our bills. You are over here like, actually, these grants are paying my bills. So I'm going to do what needs to be done. So keep on keeping on with that. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for being here and doing our first little podcast exclusive. I'm so glad we got to do this and um, chat further. Thank you, Will. We've got like the fool and the queen over here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which one's which? I think we'll, we're both. We'll switch off roles. <laughs> um, this is amazing. Break many legs on Criminal Queer Festival this year, and I cannot wait to see you there. Thank you so much again to our guest, Adam Odsess Rubin, for that wonderful conversation. I am so pumped to be attending live theater and to see the Criminal Queerness Festival myself. So maybe I will see some of you there. Thank you so much and break many legs on that. As it is Pride Month, I also want to give a little shout out. You know, Pride is a time where people show their activism and support of the LGBTQ plus community with their dollars, which I think is important. But as you may or may not be aware of, a lot of corporations just sort of throw some Pride flags on some things and use it as an opportunity to make more money for themselves. I would like to take this opportunity to shout out a queer-owned business in case you'd like to spend your dollars that way. So I'm giving some love to fellow Chicagoans at Rebirth Garments today. They are an incredible clothing company that creates specifically for queer bodies, trans bodies, disabled bodies, differently sized bodies. Their club wear is so amazing. Every single time I'm out and someone is wearing a Rebirth fantastical creation, I know exactly what it is when I see it. And they're an incredible example of a company that is using art and fashion to promote education and consciousness with our purchasing habits, the companies we give our time and money and support to, and how that really makes a difference and how supporting consciously equitable companies and consciously inclusive companies help us survive this thing that is existing as queer people and marginalized people in the capitalist society that we're in. So give them a follow on Instagram, check out the Etsy when it's available and tell them I said hi. <laughs> Thank you so much. If you enjoyed our very first podcast exclusive, please give us a subscribe, a rate, and a review. I'd like to say thank you to my wonderful co-creator, her name is Erin Murray, and our producer, the Island Shakespeare Festival. Also, our amaze graphic designer, Ray Catherine Morgan. Here at Tea Cakes and Tarot, we're going to be taking a little summer hiatus, so you can be looking out for more content from us around the end of August. And we will be following up with Adam to see how the festival went and how that reading manifested, if it did. In the meantime, I hope y'all have an incredible Pride Month. Be sweet to yourself, be sweet to others, and as always, keep on shining. <laughs>